0: Kids up through fifth grade are dismissed to their classrooms. For the rest of you, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. James 5, 7 and 8. We are in the home stretch of the book of James here. We have, I think, three more weeks after this week in James. We'll have made it all the way through. And then we're going to have a two-week Easter series. And then one week after that. And then guess what? It's May already. This year is flying by. I can't believe it. And in the month of May, we're going to be doing Mission Month. A little bit different than Missions Month. Mission Month. Talking about the mission of our church to make Christ known from our neighbors to the nations. And so for the first two weeks in May, we're going to be talking about reaching our neighbors. And then the last two weeks of May, we're going to be talking about reaching the nations. Or sorry, the second two weeks of May, we're going to reaching the nations. And then the fifth week of May, we're going to be commissioning our uh, two short-term mission trips that are going to be going this summer. We have two trips. The first one is an adult trip that's going to Guatemala. And uh, the second trip is a, a youth and parent trip that is going to Minneapolis. And I just want to throw out one more plug. We still have a spot or two left on our Guatemala trip. So if you've kind of felt uh, the, uh, I don't know, maybe you're thinking, eh, maybe I should go about that when we go on that. We announced that a couple uh, months ago, but you ignored that feeling. Well, allow yourself to feel the full weight of conviction. You should go. I'm talking to you. I don't know who the you is, but I'm talking to you. You should go. Uh, We'd love to have you, if you're interested, just uh, just, uh, reach out to me, you can email me or meet with me after the service and uh, get you some more information about it. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, Jonas, uh, who preached last week, just wanted me to pass on his gratefulness to the way that you really made him feel welcomed and encouraged. Uh, he was so grateful to be able to, to preach and, and just really spoke highly of all of you, as I knew he would. I knew that you would do that and make him feel so welcome. So thank you for doing that. It's such valuable experience for guys when they're just starting out uh, in seminary and learning and honing that preaching gift. It is such valuable experience to actually get to practice it. And So thank you for uh, just the way that you encouraged him while he was here last week. And I've been itching to get back to preaching. I've been itching to get back to James. And so hopefully you've made your way there to James chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. I'm going to read the passage and then we'll pray. James 5, 7 and 8 it says this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction to me and that is because what Jesus has done for me, for us, for those who are in Christ. we praise you for that, God. It's like David said, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who does not know you, who does not know the freedom that is found in leaving your burden at the foot of the cross, of our sin being nailed to the cross, and us not bearing it anymore, but Christ bearing the full weight of our sin and allowing us to be freed from the bondage If there's anyone who doesn't know that freedom, God, may may they know that freedom today, a freedom that only comes by coming to you in faith, not with a list of our accomplishments and the things we've done and the reasons why we deserve it. No, it's just in faith. I believe, yes, Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, Lord. If there's anyone in here who has not yet prayed that prayer and does not know you, I ask that this would be the day of their salvation, Lord. And for all of us who are in Christ, as we look to this passage, God, I pray that we would be encouraged as we think about the coming of Jesus, one who's going to make all things right. So help me as I preach. Help us to be changed, be more like your son. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The world is messed up, but Jesus is coming back. I love you, Rock Prairie. You're dismissed. That's all. I Yeah, praise the Lord. No, not really. We got a little more to say, but not much more to say. That's what uh, we see in these, pa- in these verses this morning. That if I to sum it all up in one sentence, that's it. The world is messed up, but Jesus is coming back. A couple weeks ago, last time we were in James, we looked at verses 1 to 6 of chapter 5, which was the scathing rebuke of the unrighteous rich. Now, Rich Waltz, I'm not talking about you, different unrighteous rich. We're talking about the rich people. Man, nothing for that. Sorry, I thought that was a funny joke. We're talking about the unrighteous rich people who were making their living on the backs of the workers that they were exploiting, And James is uh, pronouncing judgment on them. He says, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. It was pretty intense. And he was pronouncing judgment on people who had become wealthy through unrighteous and ungodly means. They were defrauding workers. They were just storing up so much grain for themselves in their barns that like, they, there was not even a purpose for it. It was just all going to rot away. And they were storing up so much clothing for themselves while other people went naked. And, and they weren't even going to be able to use them all. They just, uh, the moths were just eating them. So we have people going hungry and people going unclothed. And meanwhile, these rich people were exploiting those poor people and hoarding all these things for themselves. And James says, woe to you. Weep and howl for the miseries that were coming upon you. See, these unrighteous rich people were just dominating society. They were winning Right, if i going to make a sports analogy, they were like the Miami Heat back when they had LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. Like, nobody liked them, but they couldn't do anything about it. They were winning, right? They had everything. Played by their own rules and got away with it. They cheated, stole, and lied, and everything looked like it was working out for them. They had everything that they could want in this life and more. And so if you were on the losing end of that, if you were on the other side of that, if you were a Christian back then, it would certainly be hard not to fall into despair because it sure seemed like they were on the losing end of this battle between what's right and what's wrong. And it almost goes without saying, but it sure feels like that nowadays a little bit too, doesn't it? feels like the unrighteous are dominating in every area of the world and getting away with it. We just talked already this morning about what's happening in Ukraine or what happened in Afghanistan a few months ago with the Taliban taking over, and, and you can start to feel despair. And then you look at what's going on even close to home. You start to feel like we're living in a world that is becoming more and more hostile to the gospel. Now it's kind of the world that James is speaking into in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 5. And verse 6 actually brings this pronouncement of judgment to a climax. He says, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. In other words, you're slaughtering these people, they're not even putting up a fight. So his message is a message of judgment. So we think about James and think about who he's writing to. You almost picture like two groups of people up here on the stage. Verses 1 to 6, he is pronouncing judgment on these people who are not followers of Christ, who are living in an unjust way and getting away with it. And now verse 7, he turns his microphone back to the brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if you're in this group living at this time, What would the question that you have in your mind be? As you know what's going on with these people, what's the question? Well, what are we supposed to do, right? How are we supposed to respond? That's the question that James answers for the believers that he's writing to, and that's the question that we as Christians in 2022 need to be able to answer as well. Church, this is so important. This is so important. How do we respond as Christians to the events of the world around us? How do we respond as Christians to a world that is becoming more and more hostile to the gospel, at least from all appearances? Where the teachings of Christ, in many ways, are falling further and further away from what is accepted? How do we respond when it feels like Christians are being marginalized at best and openly persecuted and even killed for their faith in some parts of the world at worst? What's our response to that? You ever feel that tension? You see these things around you, like what am I supposed to do about this? I think as Christians, there are two natural responses that we kind of can instinctively have as we see the world around us. There's two natural responses, and it's simply the same response that you can have to any sort of danger around you, which is fight or flight, you know about fight or flight, it's, it's kind of like the, the biological reaction that you have when you see danger in front of you. And depending on the danger, depending on your personality, you're going to kind of tend toward fight or flight, right? It's like when my wife and I see a big old spider in our house, we have different responses. She's more of a flight person, I'm more of a fight person, right? I, I get to feel manly about stepping on that spider and taking care of it. But if there's a snake, I don't know what your response is going to be, mine's going to be flight. Okay, I don't care how teeny the snake is, I'm running away from that thing. But when it comes to our response to the culture, I think that can be, those can be the two natural responses we have as well. Either fight, you're not going to walk all over me, my rights, I'm going to stand up for myself, I'm going to fight back. Culture's going this way, not if we have anything to say about it, we're going to fight back and we're going to change things. We have that fight response. We're going to have the flight response, right? Pull back, keep the world out. We just Christians. We need to just kind of pull back, huddle together, don't interact with the world, and keep everything out. Both of these responses are natural, for sure. I get the inclination to both, but I would say that both of them are inappropriate. Nowhere in Scripture are Christians called to just completely disengage from the world, and nowhere in Scripture are Christians called to adopt a posture of, like, we need to fight and take back what's ours. Not in the physical realm, not in the real world. We fight a battle, but it's not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And so if we're not called to run away and hide and shrink back from the culture, and we're not called to fight back either, what are we supposed to do? Two things. The title of my sermon, and it's both of my points. I'm that creative. Two things. Be patient and stand firm. That's what James calls us to do. Be patient and stand firm. Be First, be patient. Look at verse seven. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Why Patience. With all the things going on in James' day, why would James's first command be, be patient? Answer, because Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. The verse isn't, be patient therefore, brothers, period. It's be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. If Jesus isn't coming back, then patience doesn't make any sense. But if he is coming back, Patience is the only thing that makes sense. Now, how many of you are like big time, like wilderness campers? Like, if you could have your way, you just go out and camp in the wilderness for the week, like completely off the grid. Raise your hand. I know there's some of you in here. Not very many. I'm not one of them. Uh, I am a Holiday Inn kind of guy. But uh, for those of you who are uh, wilderness kind of people, you can relate to this maybe more. But like, imagine. That you're stranded in the wilderness, right? Something you've gone on this camping trip, and something's gone horribly wrong. You're lost, and you are stranded, and uh, and you don't know what to do. What's what? How are you going to respond to that situation of being stranded in the wilderness? Well, you could do one of two things. You could either try and go find someone to help you, or you can stay put. What's going to dictate which response you choose? The answer is, if anybody knows you're there and if rescue is coming, if no one knows you're out there, no one knows that you're in trouble, then you better go figure out how you're going to get out of the situation on your own. But if you got one of these fancy GPS watches where you push the distress button and they send a helicopter right to your coordinates to, uh, to rescue you, then how dumb would it be for you to wander off, right? Right? It makes no sense. The only thing that makes sense is to stay where you are, because rescue is coming. That's why James says, be patient until the coming of the Lord, because rescue is coming. Now, if I can even draw this analogy out a little bit further, as you wait for rescue in the wilderness, it might be hard You might suffer a little bit. You might get hungry. You might get rained on. You might see one of those snakes that I'm so terrified of. You might suffer a little bit in the waiting, but that doesn't mean you run away. Even if you're suffering as you wait, the only thing that makes sense is to be patient until rescue comes. And that's what we're called to do as well. Be patient Until the coming of the Lord, because Jesus is coming back. Can I ask you a question, church? Do you know that Jesus is coming back? He's coming back. And sometimes I see the way Christians respond to challenges in the culture as if it's entirely up to them to fix things. It's not. Be patient. Rescue's coming. Jesus is coming back. Be patient. In fact, the next thing that James says is something that some of you have been waiting for me to put in my PowerPoint for three years. Be like a farmer. Some of you are like, amen, finally, Pastor Mike. Be like a farmer. Look at what he says, the second half of verse seven. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains you also be patient and the palestinian climate is a little different than ours they would plant in the fall and harvest in the spring and they would need the early rains in the fall so that they were able to plant and the late rains in the spring so that their crops would grow and they were able to harvest and so these are, those are like the rainy seasons that would come every single year now around here i was, uh, coming up, on, not coming up on, I just passed three years being here now, and, and I still cannot figure out uh, what farmers are ever uh, wanting in terms of the weather. Like, I'm always, like, I'll say, how can I be praying? Like, oh, well, we really need this rain to hold off. So then I pray for the rain to hold off, and then four days later, I talk to somebody, well, we need some rain. It's like, I've been praying for it not to rain, and you're telling me you need rain. So I can never keep up with it, but the point is, if the rain doesn't come, there's not going to be a harvest, right? It's as simple as that. Now, there's a lot that a farmer can do, preparing the soil and planting and spraying. But if the rain don't come, the crops ain't going to grow. It's as simple as that. You can worry about the rain all you want. Some of you worry more than others. You can worry about it all you want, but your worrying isn't going to make the rain come. We can't do anything about it, right? We haven't invented a weather machine yet. And so what James is saying is just like a farmer is completely dependent on God to send the rain in order for there to be a harvest, we too are completely and utterly dependent on the justice of God to come when Jesus comes back to make everything right for his harvest of his sons and daughters. And there's nothing we can do to make it happen sooner or later. It's God's timing just like a farmer is patient and waits for the rain to come, which is an act of God, which is a demonstration of his faithfulness. Over and over in, in, in the Old Testament, the rain coming is a sign of God's faithfulness. And so what James is saying is God will be faithful to bring justice. God will bring, be faithful to bring rescue, but you got to wait on it. So be patient. And trust the Lord to work. Trust the Lord to work. As I I was studying this week, I was really struck by Psalm 37. I'd encourage you to spend some time in it, in your time with the Lord this week. Psalm 37. I'm going to read through verses 5 to 9, and they'll be up on your screen. So you can turn there if you want, but they'll be up on your screen as well. And I just want us to think together about what these verses say about what we're supposed to do and what these verses say about what God's supposed to do. When we see injustice in the world, when we see unrighteousness winning, when it feels like we're in a hostile world to God, this psalm tells us some things that we're supposed to do and some things that God's supposed to do. So look, starting in verse 5, it says this, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. Who will act? Say it. He will act. God will act. Verse 6, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Whose job is it to vindicate you, to bring justice? Is is it your job? No, it's God's job. What should you do? Verse 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. I think James was thinking about this psalm when he wrote this passage. Be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Now I'm pretty good at running around in a panic before the Lord. And freaking out before him. Maybe some of you are too. Be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Over the man who carries out evil devices. Don't worry about those people who seem like they're winning. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Let God be God what he's saying now I think there will certainly be righteous anger that we feel on the behalf of the oppressed if you see some of these things happening in Ukraine with men and women being killed innocent men and women and you don't feel a sense of righteous anger then there's probably something wrong but it's a righteous anger that leads us to cry out to God and lament and say Lord how long will it stay like this God won't you do something we need you to act, God, but we trust that you will. This verse 9, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. We live in a fallen world where there is no lack of evil, and it's been that way ever since Eve ate the apple, handed it to Adam, and he ate it too. But that's not the whole story. God already destroyed the earth in a flood because they deserved it. He said, "I'm not going to do that again." And the next time, He sent His Son, a deliverer, a rescuer, and that rescuer is coming back. So, what do we do in the meantime? We're patient, like a farmer waiting for the rain. Just like a farmer can't wait, and make it rain. We can't make anything to do. We can't do anything to make Jesus come back any faster. So be patient and trust the Lord to work. And finally, stand firm. Stand firm. We see that in the second half of verse 8. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Depending on your translation, that verse might look very different for you. The Christian Standard Bible says strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. The NIV says simply stand firm. Stand firm. You see, being patient is the posture of our hearts, Right? We're called to be patient, we're called to wait for rescue, but it doesn't necessarily tell us what to do. Like, yes, we're called to trust that Jesus is going to come back and we know that he's going to make everything right, but what do we do in the meantime, like, like actually do? Do we just sit around and quit our jobs and sell our homes and just, like, go pitch a tent, tent in a field and just wait for Jesus to come back? No. What are we supposed to do? We're called to strengthen our hearts, to establish our hearts, to stand firm. There's two things that that entails. The first is simply to do good, to do good. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17 talks about this. It's actually talking about waiting for the Lord's return and what we're supposed to do. It's a very similar passage. It says this, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us, and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So as we wait, we're called to do good. It's pretty simple. are supposed to do good and not do evil. Duh. Pastor Mike, how much will we pay you to tell us that? That's pretty, pretty obvious. We could have figured that out on our own. Do good. Don't do what's bad, right? It's obvious as it sounds, though. Let's be honest, it's not as simple to live it out, especially when evil is actually being done to you, right? How good are we at justifying sinful responses if, well, what they're doing is way worse? Very good at justifying sinful responses. It's the answer to that question. It's easy to cut corners. It's easy to think that, the, well, the ends justify the means. It doesn't really matter how I live as long as I'm, quote, on the right side. That's not what we're called to as Christians, not even close. In fact, 1 Peter 3, 9 even takes it a step further. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. You see how radical that is? It doesn't just say when when evil's being done to you. It doesn't just say don't retaliate. It doesn't just say how many of you grew up, grew up with this phrase. You can finish it for me. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all, right? It doesn't even say that. If you can't say something nice, too bad. You better say something nice. <laughs> Repay evil with blessing, for to this you have been called, that you may inherit a blessing. That's crazy. Who lives like that? What kind of people seek to actively bless those who are persecuting them? Think about someone that you might consider your quote-unquote enemy. Someone who wants to see you fail. Someone who hates your faith. Who thinks it's offensive. Who thinks it's backwards. Who thinks you shouldn't even be, able, be allowed legally to believe the things that you do. Think about that person. Now, what's your heart response to that person? Is it to bless them? Church, that's what we're called to do. There's no exceptions to that. It's not, well, it's getting really bad. No, bless those who persecute you. Who does that? Who can live like that? People who've been radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who. In fact, another way to think about it is because of what Jesus has done and because he's coming back and because justice is his, because I'm not the one who has to keep score of all these things, I'm actually freed To respond to evil with a blessing. I don't have to be the one who enacts justice. That's God's job. I am free to respond in blessing. And that is, in fact, freeing. Justice is God's. It's not yours. You don't have to figure out how to take vengeance. Repay evil with blessing. And you will inherit a blessing. What a promise from God's word. Stand firm by doing good. And then finally, as we close, hope in Christ. Hope in Christ. How do we stand firm? By doing good and by hoping in Christ. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Which means it's coming soon. It's coming soon. Which is interesting, right, when you think about it. It's actually every, uh, every generation since Jesus went to heaven, including the first one, thought that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. Everyone's been wrong so far. Everyone's, I guess, been a little closer. But we don't know when that's going to be. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. So what seems like maybe a long time to us is nothing to God. The coming of the Lord is at hand, which means it could happen today. It could happen in 10,000 years. I don't know. But we're called to hope in Christ. First 1 Peter 1.13 Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope, what? Fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We talked about this some when we went through 1 Peter. It's real easy to set your hope partially on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, and yet still hope in my circumstances getting better. Still hope in being vindicated in this life. We're called to hope fully, in Christ. Not partially, not half in Christ and half in getting what we want on earth. Fully in Christ because the coming of the Lord is at hand. And man, church, I just hope that this passage frees you, gives you a sense of peace, gives you a sense of understanding of how we're called to live. You don't have to keep striving. You don't have to keep fighting the culture and you don't have to keep being afraid of it either. Be patient. Because rescue's coming. God sees. God knows exactly what you're going through. And He's coming. What do you think He would want to tell you? Exactly that. I'm coming. I'm coming back. It's going to be okay. Well, we got to wait, like a farmer waiting on the rain. God's the only one who can bring the rain. And God's the only one who can make things right. So be patient. Stand firm by doing good. Don't repay evil with evil. Repay it it with blessing and hope fully in Christ. Because he's coming back. He's the savior of the world. Don't hope in lesser things. Don't hope in people who make promises that they'll make your life better. Don't hope in in your circumstances changing to giving you everything that you want. Hope in Christ, the one who came once to reconcile the lost and is coming again to reconcile the world. The world is messed up, but Jesus is coming back. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. God, what a hope, what a sure hope we have. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We don't see Jesus right now with our eyes, but we know he's coming back. So God, help us to be patient even when it's hard, even when we're suffering because of it. Strengthen us, be near to us, give us comfort and peace. Help us to establish our hearts to strengthen them to do good, to repay evil with blessing, and help us to hope in Jesus, our rescuer, our deliverer. Come quickly, Jesus. We want you to come back soon. We want you to come back and make things right. But until you do, give us patience and give us peace. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.